This is the Blaze Radio On Demand. When our water heater broke down last month, it was a nightmare. It took five hours for the plumber to show up, and he charged us a couple of hundred bucks just to come out. Then it cost another $1,800 to put in the new water heater. By the time it was all said and done, I felt like I'd been taken. But what else could I do? The smartest thing you can do is get a home warranty from American Residential Warranty. Their home warranties pay to repair or replace all your major appliances when they break. And they will break. And at the worst possible time, call American Residential Warranty right now for free information on home warranties starting at just pennies a day. Don't wait for your refrigerator to stop running or your ceiling fans to stop turning. Call American Residential Warranty right now. Ask how you can save up to 50% on wash and dryer coverage. Just call 1-800-686-3910. That's 1-800-686-3910. Again, 1-800-686-3910. Call now. Mike Slater. Apologize, we had some technical difficulties, but we are live. Right now. Thanks for being here. I uh, want to play, because we got a lot to do, and we will rebound, I promise. Um, I want to play one clip here from the debate. And I, th- oh, there's one other clip maybe I want to play a little later too. But we don't have much debate talk, actually. Um, let's do 146 here. This is uh, a, a Muslim girl who's a uh, uh, YouTube celebrity. She has a, a YouTube page where she does makeup tips. So here it is. I'm Nabella Noor. I'm a Muslim American born and raised in the U.S. who creates beauty and lifestyle videos on YouTube. In 2015, the number of hate crimes against Muslims in the U.S. has tripled. And on social media, where I spend a lot of time, I've seen many attacks directed towards fellow Muslims. This culture of hatred is only driving ISIS to radicalize, recruit, and incite violence. As president, what would you do to address this toxic climate and promote increased tolerance in the United States? Okay. All right. Let's answer that question. Well, I'm not going to answer the question. We're going to uh, put a little appropriate context to that question. So, again, keep in mind who's asking this question. This is a YouTube celebrity. She's a Muslim. Her parents are from Bangladesh. Um, and, again, she, she makes you, uh, makeup tutorial videos. And she's asking at this GOP debate about the climate of hate towards Muslims. Now, just one quick message to to Miss Nabella Noir. If you lived in most any Muslim country, they would stone you for wearing makeup. Let alone you be a celebrity for giving makeup tips. So please don't lecture America about tolerance. Now, listen, I, I, I know you got a lot of people saying right now, like, oh, Slater, just because Saudi Arabia you know, throws gay people off the roof doesn't mean that we can also be discrimination, discriminatory or mean towards gay people or Muslims or whoever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know. But like, I, I, I take a defensive posture when people talk about the climate of hate towards Muslims. When you, Muslim woman, wouldn't be, you wouldn't be able to walk outside your door with an opinion, let alone be able to question presidential candidates. 
There are no presidential candidates in your country, only here in America. A little gratitude would be nice. That's why I get defensive. I'm sorry. Now, also a little context here, which I think is important. She talks about, again, the uh, climate of hate. Is that the word she used, right? Climate of hate towards Muslims in America. A little context here. Uh, According to the FBI, they release every year uh, hate crime statistics for the previous year. Uh, So 2014, most recent year we have, there were 6,400 hate crimes in America. 6,400. Of those, 18% of them were based on religion. Most of them were on skin color, race, um, and then you get sexual orientation, stuff like that. But but 18% of the 6,400 were on religion. Of those, 14% were hate crimes against Muslims. 14, 1-4, 14%. 59% of hate crimes based on religion are against Jews. 59%. So, so Ms. Noor and, and all the candidates, what are we going to do about the climate of hate against Jews in America? Is there any... Any plan there? Is, there? is that what we're talking about as well? Because there are far more Jews who are victims of hate crimes in America than Muslims. Far more. Four times as many. Why wasn't that question asked? Why was that question asked at all at the GOP debate? Why, why, why at the Republican debate do we have progressives ask questions? Isn't that weird? I guarantee you they wouldn't let you ask a question at the Democratic debate. So why do we have uh, Bella Noir asking questions? at the? At, but that's, I guess it's a side point. If, I don't care if progressives ask questions, but you would think Fox News or whoever would pick a good one. <laughs> that's not a good question because it's based off a false premise, right? That, that Muslims are, there's a, that there is a climate of hate against Muslims. There's not. And it's also a lack of uh, lack of awareness, lack of understanding, like a, a lack of gratitude. So why why ask? It's absurd. Yes, do do people do mean things? Do people say mean things? Every like twice did someone cut a pig's head off and throw it outside a mosque in America? Yeah, with three hundred thirty million Americans, I think pretty like a vast vast majority are pretty stinking tolerant. I was in Detroit a couple months ago, right when ISIS was the big story. And I was in the Detroit airport boarding a plane. Standing next to me was a Muslim man, about 40. And then a woman in a burqa, full burqa. You could just see her eyes, right? And we're about to board. I'm standing right next to him. And I look at everyone else. No one batted an eye. No one batted an eye. This toxic atmosphere. Give me a break. 1-888-900-3393. Mike Slater showed the blaze. Radio Network. Spread the word. You're listening to Mike Slater. Part of the next generation of talk radio. On the Blaze Radio Network. And go for Mike Slater in three, two, one. You're listening to Mike Slater. Part of the next generation of talk radio. Only on the Blaze Radio Network. Slater Crusaders. America's the greatest country in the world. Oh, no, another CNN ticker. I just looked. I didn't even know this TV was on. And I just look up and the CNN is another ticker. 47 hours and 54 minutes and 19 seconds until the Iowa caucus coverage begins. CNN's getting out of control with their tickers. Jeez Louise. 47 hours? Do we really... 
Anyway, how are you, Sidekick Crusaders? Hope you're having a great weekend so far. Uh, lots to do, lots to do. Let's see. Uh, I want to talk about uh, the Challenger crew a little bit here. Do our humble tribute to uh, our adventurers, our explorers. Of course, that disaster was 30 years ago, two days ago. Uh, but first, I want to talk a little bit about Iowa and about the campaign and all the rest. Was it last Friday when the National Review put together their, uh, about what, 30 or so conservative intellectuals? And they each wrote short essays, including my boss, Glenn Beck. Uh, they wrote short essays on why you should not vote for Donald Trump. Now, I, uh, I'm not going to go into the whole thing now because it's, I guess, old news now. But I, I, uh, on my local show, I was, I was a bit critical of people who wrote essays against Trump. Not because they wrote them. But because of how they wrote them, friendly criticism is all to, to, to constructive criticism. Because I feel like if one's goal is to convince a Trump supporter to not vote for Trump, then I think all those people who wrote the essays whiffed big time, missed by a mile. Because they tried to use reason, they tried to use logic. To try and convince people who are supporting someone based on identity and emotion. Now, I want to be clear. There's nothing wrong inherently. There's nothing inherently wrong with supporting someone out of emotion and supporting someone because you have an, uh, an identity connection to them. But if you are trying to convince someone. who yeah, Let's say there's someone who supports Trump out of emotion and, and identity. If you're trying to support that person not to, no amount of reason will convince them. Here's the line you need to remember. Identity beats analogy. Analogy beats reason. Reason beats nothing. I was on uh, the Dr. Drew show on Headline News a couple days ago and, uh, and said this. Identity beats analogy. Analogy beats reason. Reason beats nothing. So if you're trying to appeal to someone, reason... It's wor- I mean, it's, I don't want to say it's worthless, but that's the, the least persuasive. You can use analogy, that's a little more persuasive, but identity is the most persuasive arguments that you can make. And Trump appeals to identity. I am strong. You are strong. They are weak. Vote for me and be a winner. That's identity. Deep, you deep persuasive connections when you when you are connected to someone based on identity a, a, a reason argument is did you know that donald trump supported the auto bailouts and the obamacare which okay but reason beats nothing if you're trying to persuade someone Be, reason beats nothing so if i can i mean maybe we got a couple minutes here right because we got a lot to do but if, if i were if i were tasked to now I'm not saying I'm trying to do this I'm just saying if I were tasked with this mission to convince a Trump supporter to not convince Donald Trump I would do my best to appeal to identity so I'm imagining myself sitting across the table from from someone wearing a make America great hat Now, not a single person in the National Review, I think I read them all, told a story 
Now, I know they only had a few paragraphs, but that's plenty of time to tell a story. So when I'm thinking of this task, two stories came to mind. The first is the movie Gladiator. It was on TV the other day. It's one of those movies whenever it's on, it's like, oh, well, here we go. <laughs> Watching this for the next hour and 30 minutes or whatever. It's on. There's an amazing scene in this movie of Caesar, right? the leader of Rome, coming to Maximus. We've talked about this before. Coming to Maximus, and he says to Maximus, I want you to become the protector of Rome after I die. Will you accept this great offer that I have uh, given you? And Maximus says, with all my heart, no. And Caesar responds, that is why it must be you. The reluctant leader. It is, it's one of the great stories in human history, and it happens to be one of the great stories in American history. The person who doesn't really want the job is the best person for the job. George Washington was the same way. He didn't want to be the president of the United States. He didn't want it. He knew how hard it was going to be. He wasn't sure if he was up for the job. And after he declined it twice, he took it. And my favorite part about that is when people were deciding what to call him, his vice president, Adams, he said, um, he, he threw out a couple suggestions. He said, well, uh, George, how about his elective majesty or his mightiness or his highness? <laughs> right? Those are the suggested titles for the leader of the executive branch. And George Washington said, what are you crazy? How about we go with president? President is the most basic, simple, no frills, no ego title possible. That is the definition of taking the lowest seat at the table. President. Why do those two stories matter? Because great men always put the mission above themselves. Mission first, they come second. Think of the greatest, well, think of the greatest people you know, but think of the, great, the greatest veterans you know. Like in your family, in your family, your friends, neighbors, think of the, the veterans that you know in your life that you admire. You, you got that person? We all know someone. Have you ever heard them brag about their service? Ever once? Do you find that person who you admire, that veteran who you admire, do you, are they boastful? Are they arrogant? Do they show you their medals, brag about their war stories? No. In fact, the people who do the most incredible things, they're the quietest of all. Why? Because they have the most important characteristic of a great leader. The most important characteristic. It's not strength. Strength is good. Strength is important. It's not the most important. Why do we think our World War II veterans are the greatest generation? Why do we call them that? We don't call them the greatest generation because they stormed the beaches. We call them the greatest generation because they came back home and didn't brag about it. And you, any World War II veteran you've ever talked to, they never brag about it. You thank them for their service, and what do they say? Oh, I was just doing my job. They're humble. The greatest characteristic of a leader is humility. Our Navy SEALs. We live here. I live here in San Diego, so we got I got 
couple Navy SEAL friends, and um, it's a Navy SEAL community. This is where the SEALs train, right down the street. I was with a friend the other day. I was in a, uh, a Bible study with a SEAL. There's a couple guys, 10 of us, and there was a new guy in the group. And we were talking about our jobs or whatever, and uh, the new guy says to the SEAL, he says, oh, what, what, what's your job? What do you do for a living? You know what he said? You know what the Navy SEAL said? I'm in the military. You know what he didn't say? <laughs> I was in the raid that killed Bin Laden a couple of years ago. You heard of him? Yep. That was me. I was in the military. I'm in the military. These are the people we admire the most. Who are you? Who are you? Are you a boastful person? Do you like boastful people in your life? Did, did you have a friend or do you have a friend who constantly brags about themselves? All the great things that like, no, you don't, you don't hang around people like that. Now you can be arrogant and successful, no doubt about it for a while. But I think success has to be defined properly. Success may mean a lot of money. You can be arrogant and make a lot of money. But you can't be arrogant and lead movements. And what this country needs more than anything is a movement. I don't even think it really needs a leader of the movement. We are the leaders of this movement. We don't need a highness. We don't need an elective majesty. We don't need someone who aspires to be the most powerful person in Rome. We need someone more than anything who doesn't want these things. But if he must... He will serve with all of his heart and none of his pride. Now, here's the problem with America. We think humility is weakness. We think humility is weakness, but are our World War II veterans weak? (laughs) Do you think they're weak? Anyone would say they're humble, but does that mean they're weak? Are our Navy SEALs weak? Now, you would say they're humble, but I, you would tell that to their face. Be like, oh, Navy SEAL, you're a humble man. Would you ever say, you know what? You're also pretty weak. <laughs> I dare you. We need strength. We need power. We need forcefulness. We need conviction. We need humility. Hard to find today. Hard to find because in America, we think humility is weakness. And we think if you're humble, you're dumb. Or you make mistakes a lot or something like that. I, I mean, the classic line is being humble doesn't mean you think less of yourself. It means you think of yourself less. Now, all the men running want to be president, right? It's just sort of the culture we have and the office that has been created. All these men think that they're the best man for the job, and that's okay. I would say all these men for a long time have aspired to this job, and that's fine. But what do we do with... I'm I'm assuming we all agree that humility is important. So what do we do? Not for me to decide. That's not my job. But I do think it's wise to perhaps go to the greatest leader of men who's ever lived. And he said, those who exalt themselves will be humbled. And those who humble themselves will be exalted. So if I were to suggest to to someone who's going to vote in uh, in the caucus or go to the caucus, just just a nugget of wisdom 
there's a little little seed in your heart that I would plant is uh, is the idea that true strength comes from humility. So I don't know, something like that. One eight 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 nine hundred thirty three ninety three. One eight 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 nine hundred thirty three ninety three. Identity. It appeals to identity. Who are you? Are you a humble person? So let's find that representative who best represents you. Appeal to identity. You know what identity of the Tea Party is and the conservative movement is our founding fathers. We aspire, we love our founding fathers and everything that they created. John Adams, he said the greatest political virtue is humility. Ready for this line? He said, if you don't have humility, he said, every man in power becomes a ravenous beast of prey. Do you want to vote for someone who John Adams believes will become a ravenous beast of prey? one 93 Mike Slater Show, The Blaze Radio Network. Spread the word. Mike Slater. On the Blaze Radio Network. When our water heater broke down last month, it was a nightmare. It took five hours for the plumber to show up, and he charged us a couple of hundred bucks just to come out. Then it cost another $1,800 to put in the new water heater. By the time it was all said and done, I felt like I'd been taken. But what else could I do? The smartest thing you can do is get a home warranty from American Residential Warranty. Their home warranties pay to repair or replace all your major appliances when they break. And they will break. And at the worst possible time, call American Residential Warranty right now for free information on home warranties starting at just pennies a day. Don't wait for your refrigerator to stop running or your ceiling fans to stop turning. Call American Residential Warranty right now. Ask how you can save up to 50% on wash and dryer coverage. Just call 1-800-686-3910. That's 1-800-686-3910. Again, 1-800-686-3910. Call now. Mike Slater. Hi, Slater Crusaders. So I just want to be clear. No one has ever tasked me with trying to convince a Trump supporter to not Vote for Donald Trump, and I, I, I do not feel that it, that is my task, or um, and I've never been tasked. But if I were tasked, that's what I would I would have said. Um, I want to tell a story here of Abraham Lincoln. Uh, he was one of our presidents, actually, first born, uh, first president born not in the original thirteen colonies. How about that for a little uh, Abraham Lincoln fact? And he wasn't supposed to be president. I mean, not only if you look at his childhood, but. There were three other, I mean, even as an adult, there were three other men who were supposed to get the nomination, but he got it. Uh, long story short, and if you've ever read Team Arrivals, you, you know the whole deal, but the three men who were supposed to get it over him to, to get the nomination, Lincoln put them in his cabinet. And he made his rivals his most trusted advisors. Today, uh, because we don't have leaders who are humble, uh, presidents reward loyalty. Lincoln rewarded rivalry. One of his rivals was Edward Stanton, and Lincoln appointed him Secretary of War. 
And there was a time when Lincoln gave Stanton a suggestion on where to transfer regiments around, like from one place to the other. So he gives the letter. So Abraham Lincoln writes this suggestion. And it's from the president of the United States. So it's a little more than a suggestion. Gives it to a congressman. And the congressman passes the letter on to Stanton. And Stanton reads it and, and thought it was a terrible idea. So he tells the congressman, he goes, did Lincoln give you an, a, an order of this kind? And the congressman said, yes, he did, sir. And you know what the, the secretary of war said back? He said, then he is a damned fool. So the congressman goes back to the president, tells him what Stanton said. And Lincoln gets all defensive, right? As anyone would, right? You get defensive. You say, hold on. Whoa. Stanton said that I was a damned fool. Now stop there for a second. Imagine what you would do in this moment. You're in charge. And you can imagine you're the president of the United States. You can imagine you're the boss at, at your job. You're in charge. You make a suggestion to someone, but it's kind of an order. The person you give it to doesn't like it. And not only do they say no, but they call you a fool for suggesting it. How do you feel, right? You're angry. You're defensive. They call me a fool. They're the fool. That's the natural human reaction, right? You know what Lincoln did? He, oh, he got angry at first, right? Like, he, like whoa, what's, wait, what? I'm, I'm sorry. Stanton said I was a damned fool. And then he sat back and took a deep breath. And said, well, if Stanton said I was a damned fool, then I must be one. For he is nearly always right. And generally says what he means. I will step over and see him. <laughs> that awesome. I want to read a, a, a short paragraph here. From Doris Kearns Goodwin. She's the author of Team of Rivals. Please read the book if you haven't. And uh, I just want to read it. And I want to, as I'm reading it, think if you're going to just think two things. First, do you believe, do we believe that these are necessary characteristics of a good and effective leader? First thing. So I'm going to read this paragraph. Do you think that these are necessary characteristics of a good leader? Second thing, does your candidate for president and president, Congress, I mean, there's a lot of local elections coming up, obviously, right? So does your candidate for whatever have these, do you have these <laughs> characteristics as a father, a mom, husband, wife, son, daughter, right? Like, do you have these characteristics? So are these essential and B, do, do you have them and does your candidate have them? So here's Doris Kearns Goodwin talking about Abraham Lincoln. He possessed an uncanny ability empathize with and think about other people's points of view. He repaired injured feelings that might have escalated into permanent hostility. He shared credit with ease. Lincoln assumed responsibility for the failure of his subordinates. He constantly acknowledged his errors and learned from his mistakes. He refused to be provoked by petty grievances. And he never submitted to jealousy or brooded over perceived slights. Does your candidate have those characteristics? 
And then the more important question is, and I ask this to myself every day, do I have those characteristics? one 888 Mike Slater Show, the Blaze Radio Network. Mike Slater, part of the next generation of talk radio on the Blaze Radio Network. Later on the Blaze Radio Network. Corey just said uh, he's taken two pages of notes so far. That's cool, Corey. I appreciate that, man. Um, I have no intent. I didn't ever realize people take notes. Better watch what I say. Um, I want to change gears here a little bit, if that's okay. Don't know where to start. Um, 30 years ago. Two days ago, 30 years ago, 1986. That would be the Challenger disaster. The final words, the last communication from the men and women on that space shuttle was Roger, go at throttle up. Final words. And then the shuttle exploded. What does that mean? Go at throttle up. So the very short of the science here is when a rocket shoots off the ground into space, there's different levels of atmosphere and the air is thinner and thicker in different parts of the atmosphere until you get up into space. So there's a portion of the ascent where the air is thin and the shuttle can't go at full speed because if it does, then they're going too fast. And the people inside can't take it. So, so when they're going through this thin area in the atmosphere, for a couple seconds, it's only 10, 10 20 seconds or so, they got to basically take their foot off the gas, right? You got you to go 65% of max engine power for a couple seconds while you're in this thin atmosphere. And then when you break through that atmosphere, that area, then you throttle back up and go up to full speed until you're completely home free in space. Does that make sense? So I want to play a, just a short clip of the audio here, audio of the launch, uh, and you can hear them talking about this, um, and then you can hear uh, their final words. We'll throttle down to uh, 65% shortly. Engines at 65%, three engines uh, running normally, three good fuel cells, three good APUs. Velocity 2,257 feet per second. Altitude 4.3 nautical miles, downrange distance 3 nautical miles. Engines throttling up, 3 engines now at 104%. Challenger, go with throttle up. Challenger, go with throttle up. It's at that moment that the shuttle exploded and the seven astronauts. When they, it's, it's at that moment when the seven astronauts died. Here's the most haunting thing about Roger Go at Throttle Up. Once you pass that point of the launch, the hard part is behind you. Now, of course, you're going to be holding your breath the entire time during the launch. But, but once you pass that point, it's a cause for celebration. Once you hear Go at Throttle Up, 
a Roger go with throttle. That, that's a that's a sign of a relief. You can you can like you you can exhale now. Once if you're back at Mission Control, Mission Command, and you hear go at throttle up, you exhale a sigh of relief. We made it, and not but a second later, the worst happened. A couple days ago on my local show, um, we talked about adventure and how for all of the American experience, literally for all of it, like when the first settlers decided to get on a boat in Europe and come here to America, the American experience has been defined by adventure. So from our first settlers to about 1950s or so, that, that, that was the American experience. Men were always looking for adventure. Now, part of that was out of survival. But part of it was also because they knew that a life without adventure isn't a life worth living. Now, I know that sounds hokey and like it should be on a motivational poster in an office building somewhere, but it's true. And unfortunately, the last few decades, the goal of life is no longer to live adventure. It's to live a life of comfort and security and safety and ease. And some of that's good. Because I don't know where you're listening, but it could be cold. And uh, you know, it's comfortable to turn the heat on. That, that's good. But if all we do is strive for comfort and run away from adventure, then we're robbing ourselves of experiencing the fullness of life, at least in the same way that our ancestors did. Now, please don't get me wrong. I'm not suggesting that we all go live in like it's you know, the 1800s with no running water, right? I'm not, that's not... Creature comforts are good, but there has to be a way to live with creature comforts and still live a life of adventure. Sorry, wait, we don't have time to go into that whole thing again, but I thought it was worth mentioning because these men and women, our, our astronauts, they are our modern day explorers. Think of the greatest explorers in world history. I know you may have to go back to your 10th grade history class to do this, but... but Think like you can. Everyone can name uh, ex, an, like a single explorer: Christopher Columbus, Marco Polo, exploring Asia. Took months for him to go there and back. Months. Vasco da Gama sailing to India. Cortez making it to South America. Ferdinand Magellan, first sailor to circumnavigate the world. Lewis and Clark. Lewis and Clark. Their journey blows my mind. Right, first people to walk across our country. James Cook landed in Hawaii. Jacques Cartier explored Canada. All right, so you get all these amazing explorers. But then you have our astronauts. And that's a life of adventure beyond our wildest dreams. Beyond their wildest dreams. Like beyond Ferdinand Magellan's wildest dreams. Ferdinand Magellan, the first sailor to circumnavigate the world. If you told him that in just a couple hundred years... We're going to be flying up to space. I'm sure you've heard the speech. You may remember it uh, that Reagan gave that that evening. And people often talk about his last line. He said uh, that these these astronauts, they slipped the surly bonds of Earth to touch the face of God. It's a great poem. It's written by a British fighter pilot in the early 1900s. uh, John McGee Jr., I think. Um. But there's a line before that that I think is important. He said, this is Reagan. He said, there's a coincidence today. 
On this day, 390 years ago, the great explorer Sir Sir Francis Drake died aboard ship off the coast of Panama. In his lifetime, the great frontiers were the oceans. And a historian later said he lived by the sea, died on it, and was buried in it. Well, today we can say of the Challenger crew, their dedication was, like Drake's, complete. What is, um, hold on, James 1, let me look at it real quick. I think it's James 1, yeah, yeah. James 1, let perseverance finish its work. Perseverance. Let pers- be perseverant. Be persevere so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. And here's, uh, here's Reagan saying their dedication uh, of our astronauts, their dedication was complete. I love it. Now, all that being said, the cra- I think the craziest thing about the Challenger disaster is it didn't stop anyone. 19 years prior to that, on almost the same day, January 27th, 1967, was Apollo 1. That's when three astronauts died in a training mission. And then 17 years after Challenger, was February 1st, again, almost the same day, Columbia exploded on the way back into Earth, and seven astronauts died. But no disaster ever stopped more astronauts from wanting to explore space. Our human obsession to explore has not gone anywhere, at least in some people. And gosh, you got to be grateful for them because they're the ones who keep it alive in all of us. I love our astronauts. Saw a uh, video, I think it was the Columbia crew walking to the shuttle. And I was like, oh, look how cool they are. <laughs> they're the coolest. 30 years ago. I want to end with this poem. This is from uh, John Macefield. He's a poet, uh, early 1900s. He traveled by ship a lot around the world for different reasons. And he wrote uh, a poem called Sea Fever. Now, when, when I read this poem, it's short. Um, the, the last line has the word uh, merry yarn in it. Merry yarn. That means warm hello. Warm hello. So if I, if I were to wish you a merry yarn, oh, you say, well, merry yarn to you. It means a warm hello. Sea fever. He said, I must go down to the seas again, to the lonely sea in the sky. And all I ask is a tall ship and a star to steer her by. And the wheels kick and the wind song and the white sails shaking. And a gray mist on the sea's face and a gray dawn breaking. I must go down to the seas today. For the call of the running tide is a wild call and a clear call that must not be denied. And all I ask is a windy day. And the white clouds flying. And the flung spray and the, and the blown spoon and the seagulls crying. I must go down to the seas again. To the vagrant gypsy life. To the gull's way and the whale's way where the wind's like a wedded knife. And all I ask is a merry yarn from a laughing fellow rover. 
and a quiet sleep and a sweet dream when the long trip is over. There's never an appropriate or complete enough tribute to our astronauts, our adventurers, the greatest explorers, all of whom buried or memorialized, appropriately so, among the other great heroes in our history at Arlington National Cemetery. one 888 Slater Radio on Twitter. Mike Slater, show the Blaze Radio Network. Spread the word. This is Mike Slater on the Blaze Radio Network. next generation of talk radio this is mike slater well gosh it's perfect we can just combine the two things that we've talked about in, in one here uh so we're talking about humility the importance of it uh strength is good but without humility then uh, well john adams said you'll be a ravenous beast of prey nice um and then we we're just talking about challenger uh this i got a quote here from the uh launch manager his name's uh, wayne hale wayne hale jr this is after the columbia uh shuttle uh, which is February 1st, 2003. Listen to this accountability. This is amazing. He said, I had the opportunity and the information and I failed to make use of it. I don't know what an inquest or a court of law would say, but I stand condemned in the court of my own conscience to be guilty of not preventing the Columbia disaster. The bottom line is that I failed to understand what I was being told. I failed to stand up and be counted. Therefore, look no further. I am guilty of allowing the Columbia to crash. <laughs> what? That accountability is amazing. Abraham Lincoln once wrote a letter to uh, Ulysses S. Grant, and it's a, very, it's a short paragraph, and the whole first part of it is, uh, hey, General Grant, I thought you should do this. You instead did this. And he ends the letter with, I was wrong, you were right. Yours very truly, A. Lincoln. I was wrong. You were right. Robert E. Lee, after Pickett's charge, he said, all this has been my fault. I asked more of my men than should have been asked of them. Why? Like, why is it so hard to admit mistakes? But we all know that the greatest leaders, it's exactly what they do. Even if you go back to ancient Greek, ancient Greece, um, the Greeks, they, they admired Achilles. They admired him greatly. They admired his fighting ability. But in the end, they hated him because he was just a jerk. He was an arrogant jerk. Achilles was the invincible Greek soldier in the Iliad. And there's a scene where his countrymen, his brothers, were fighting and dying against the Trojans. But he was pouting in his tent because the king took his, his slave woman from him. He's like, I'm not fighting. I'm going to give my woman back. And then the king gives him his slave back, and then he still pouts and refuses to fight. And he even starts to pack up and go back home to Greece when his brothers are fighting and dying. And the only reason he decided to go and fight at all is because one of the Trojans killed his best friend. So he decided to go back, but not to serve others, not to serve his best friend or fight alongside his best friend or to fight for a bigger cause. He was motivated by revenge. 
the Greeks despised Achilles' arrogance. And one of the most shameful things that Achilles did is when he was pouting, he, he asked Zeus to make the Trojans win so that after the Greeks lost, then they would miss Achilles even more. And that, and that like imagine, uh, let's say Cam Newton gets hurt in the beginning of the game next week. And then he wishes his team to lose so that the whole next year they're like, oh, if, oh we would have won if Cam Newton was there. We love Cam Newton. We lost because we didn't have Cam. He's so great. Like, would you want someone on your team who, if they get hurt, they, they wouldn't root for you and your team? Well, that was Achilles. And that's why the Greeks, although he was an invincible, nearly, except for his heel, uh, an invincible soldier, they despised him. So think about that when you're voting for president. Who does that person put first in their eyes, their heart, their mind, and their vision? Mike Slater Show, the Blaze Radio Network. Spread the word. You're listening to Mike Slater on the Blaze Radio Network. And go for Mike Slater in three, two... You're listening to Mike Slater, part of the next generation of talk radio, only on the Blaze Radio Network. Slater, because Slater's America is the greatest country in the world. Thanks for being here. Uh, I'm just looking up at the TV here in front of me, and at at CNN, the headline says, um, could damp weather hamper Iowa turnout? Which I think is hilarious. First of all, if anyone here is listening in Iowa, I'd love for you to call in and just talk to you about how terrible it must be to be in Iowa right now. I was listening to Glenn. I was watching Glenn on his Facebook page. He's been doing these live. Um, I don't even know what you call them. Like streams, I guess. Live streams of uh, him in Iowa. And he's calling people. He's like, just like, because he, he obviously he's uh, endorsed Trump. So he's calling voters, telling them to go caucus for Trump. And they're all saying the same thing. I'm thinking, I'm thinking why would anyone in Iowa pick up their phone today? <laughs> That's like, you know, it's going to be someone on the other line telling you who to vote for. I would avoid my phone like the plague. I would avoid TV. I would avoid the local diner like the plague. Some Chris Matthews is going to come up to me and start spattering all over my food, asking me who I'm going to vote for and why. Like, I'm just trying to eat here. Can I? Rick Santorum rolls in. You're like, oh, geez, I got to talk to whoever. (laughs) It's like, I just want to get some food. Gosh, I think it'd be terrible. Seriously, if you live in Iowa, I'd love to talk to you and get any funny stories. one 888 But anyway, weather. It says weather could dampen turnout. I just think that's so bizarre. Like humans are so weird. Hundreds of millions of dollars. Countless hours of volunteering. Plane trips from, from here and there and everywhere. To try to get people to go uh, to caucus it so you can try to win Iowa. And then the, the, the caucus day comes. And it, once every four years, the caucus day comes. And people are like, eh, it's a little rainy. I'll just stay home. I don't it's a little, little cold outside. kind of want to bundle up. <laughs> it's like, what? This is the thing. This is, the, this is it. Yeah, I don't know. Wild. Um, let us play this clip right here. Clip uh, 126. This is uh, Donald Trump. When I'm president, I'm a different person. I can do anything. I can be the most politically correct person that you've ever seen. I can be the most politically correct person in the world. And I can be the opposite. The bottom line, and just to end it, is that I love Iowa. So I love that clip because 
again, how funny humans are. If you're a Trump supporter, I imagine, if you're not a Trump supporter, if you don't like Trump, I imagine you take that as, well, he just said he's a phony. <laughs> right? right? I mean, isn't that him admitting that during the primaries, he talks a big game to fire up conservatives, but then when he gets to the White House, he's just going to play the old game? Right? He's going to play, play nice with Boehner and McConnell and Pelosi and Schumer, like he said the other day, right? Talks this big game about not being PC, but then he says, when, when I'm president, I'm a different person. I can be the most politically correct person you've ever seen. Like, what, what, what is, who, who, who is this guy? Like, why do people vote for him? Right? That's if you're not a Trump supporter. But I totally see if someone is a Trump supporter, they rationalize it and say, well, look at him. He's just, he's just making deals. Right? He's, just, he's good at making deals because he's so likable. And he can negotiate better than anyone. He's nice when he needs to be nice. He's tough when he needs to be tough. This is how he got along with six of the last, the last six mayors of, of New York City and was able to build buildings and make deals with all of them. Even Dinkins. It's funny. It's just fascinating. You can take two people and they can hear the same thing and interpret it in two totally different ways. Right? Trump says that and someone can say, He's a phony! And someone else could say, he's so authentic and real. <laughs> like, what? How can we be so different? Now, no matter what you think about that, this is an important thing for all of us to come to a decision on. I believe that Donald Trump... Now, I've, I've also... Let me make another disclaimer here. Uh, about a month ago, I predicted that he will win the presidency. Um... And I got tons of emails from people like, how dare you support Donald Trump? Like, no, 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 no. I predict he will win. That doesn't necessarily mean I want him to win. Like, I can, I can want the Chargers to win the Super Bowl, but I predict that the Broncos will. Or You know what I mean? Like, I can, I can want the Panthers to win, but I predict that the, char- that the uh, you know what I mean, the, the Broncos will win. Two different things. Wanting and predicting are two. I predict that Donald Trump will win. And I believe if he does, when he does, he will use executive orders to get things done. Why wouldn't he? Can anyone, can anyone tell me, make an argument why he wouldn't use executive orders to get things done? He's gone his whole life as, a, as an executive at his own company making decisions. And a decision, like when he makes a decision, he says, do it. And they do it. And that's it. So why would he go to the White House and then sub- suddenly subordinate himself to all the clowns in Congress? He would never do that. He will use executive orders to get things done. I, I don't, I'll hear an argument as if you don't think that's the case, but I, I, I think most people would. I hear a lot, I've heard a lot of talk the last month or so about who created Donald Trump. Have you heard this stuff? Where did, how did this happen? Who created Donald Trump? Was it the... Uh, Limp-wristed Republican, the establishment, who never got anything done, and they left, it, they left this void so big that people are desperate for representation of any kind, so they ran to Donald Trump. Or no, no, I've heard it before, it was the Tea Party. Someone put on my Facebook wall that it was you, Slater, you and the rest of your Tea Party people, who, who with all your violent rhetoric, you made it suitable, you made an environment suitable for someone like Trump to run. You made it acceptable. I've heard people say it's the Democrats, right? The Democrats, they moved the pendulum so far to the left these last seven years that now the pendulum has to, to swing equally far uh, to the right, whatever. 
that means, right, right, and left. So I hear this all the time. Who created Donald Trump? I don't know. I don't know. I don't know if it's important. Maybe it is. I don't know. But what I do know, and this is what we have to come to a conviction on. What we do, what I do know, we all know, is that Barack Obama, in this next year especially, is going to create even more executive orders. And not only, we have to look at every executive order he passes, not only as, like, you know, what, what is the executive order, but every executive order he passes creates a new precedent that Donald Trump will exploit if slash when he's president. Which makes every single Barack Obama executive order even more dangerous than the executive order itself. Does that make sense? So the White House Chief of Staff, uh, Chief of Staff Dennis Mc, uh, uh, McDonough, Dennis McDonough, he told just the other day, he said the president plans audacious, his words, audacious executive orders in the next year. And the goal is to do things and do it in a way so that, this is a quote, so that it will not be subjected to undoing through Congress or otherwise. Now, Otherwise is an interesting choice of words because I, I mean I guess that means the courts right because there's only two ways to undo an executive order three I guess you can another executive order Congress or um, courts I don't I don't know another way I mean congressional amendment I guess right but so what the president said there what his chief of staff said is that we are going to he is going to unilaterally pass executive orders that Congress and the courts can't get rid of. That is obviously, and we don't even need to go there, that is obviously in direct violation of the system of checks and balances that our founders came up with. This unchecked power will eventually turn into tyranny. That's why checks and balances are there in the first place, because they lived under tyranny with the king, and the king did whatever he wanted. So my argument is, the more that Barack Obama uses executive orders this year, the more that, if he wins, Donald Trump will use them next year. And while a part of me wants to say, so you better watch out, progressives, right? Everyone on the left, you better watch out what you're doing this year because next year our guy's going to get in there and he's going to give it back to you. Part of me wants to say that. But then I think for a second, I said, no, Slater, we all better watch out. Because... Even an executive order that is used by someone on your team, even those executive orders are dangerous to all of our liberty. Whether they're an order passed from their side or our side. And the more that Obama passes them, the more that Donald Trump would pass them. And then we all lose, no matter even what the orders are. Abe Lincoln gave a speech. I know we've talked about Abraham Lincoln a lot today. Um, He gave a speech in 1854. And I love this argument. He was talking about the justifications for slavery that people gave. So Abraham Lincoln said, he said, okay, all right. uh, If A can prove, however conclusively, that he may of right enslave B, why may not B snatch the same argument and prove equally that he may enslave a right does that make sense so if charlie uh, charlie the white guy says that he can enslave uh the, the black slave over here well why can't the black slave prove that he can enslave charlie okay so here's what abraham lincoln says he says all right you say that a is white and b is black 
Okay, It is color then. The lighter having the right to enslave the darker. Uh, Take care. Because by this rule, you are to be slave to the first man you meet with a fairer skin than your own. Okay, you don't mean color exactly, Lincoln says. Okay, you mean that whites are intellectually the superiors of the blacks and therefore have the right to enslave them. Uh, Take care again. Because by this rule, you are to be slave to the first man you meet with an intellect superior to your own. But you say, uh, no, no, Lincoln, you got it wrong. Uh, It's a question of interest. And if I can make it uh, my interest, then I have the right to enslave another. Okay, very well. Uh, Because if he can make it his interest, then he would have the right to enslave you. I love, I love Abraham Lincoln. Right? He's saying, be careful of the arguments that you're making to enslave people. Be careful of those because those same arguments can be used to enslave you. And I use the same argument against the president. Mr. President, be careful. Take care. As Abraham Lincoln said, take care of the executive orders you pass this next year. Because Donald Trump will come in, rescind those orders, and then pass new ones against you. And again, I would argue, even though those orders, I may, I may agree with them, and the person passing them may be on my team, but all of them are dangerous to our country. Take care. one 3393 Slater Radio on Twitter. Mike Slater Show, the Blaze Radio Network. Spread the word. Mike Slater. We'll continue in a moment on the Blaze Radio Network. Uh, let's see what to talk about. I guess we can wrap up that segment. So, uh, does that make sense? Like, people think that their form of tyranny is great, and this is why the pendulum just keeps going back and forth and back and forth. And, and it's, it, their form of tyranny is great until it's turned back on them. Right, I guess a recent example would be college professors. I, I love reading art. Well, I don't love. Well, I kind of do. Reading articles about how college professors are scared of their own students. <laughs> right, they're afraid to say anything. They're afraid to suggest anything. They're afraid to ask students to read certain books. Heaven forbid to give a low grade. I talked to a professor who um, gave a, a low grade to a kid, and the, the, the student came to him and was on the cell phone. And the person, I, the, I don't know who it was, girl, the girl, whoever, called her mom and, and was yelling at the teacher with the mom on the phone and then said, here, she wants to talk to you and handed the phone to the teacher with like the mom. Like what? Right. So they're scared to do anything. Right. You saw what happened at Yale a couple months ago. Right. The professor says, uh, hey, you know, if you see an offensive Halloween costume, you should, uh, I don't know, either look the other way or talk to the person about it if you're offended. And they got freaked out. Or, and, and, and I love it. A little bit because they created this atmosphere. They created this. And now they hate it. 
And this has happened all throughout history. This this back and forth, right? Um, I'm sure there's I'm sure there's many many other examples, but one of the earliest I can think of is um, back in about 100 BC. The the Roman leader's name was Mar- Marius, and he did some bad things, and people didn't like him. He was ruthless, right? So Sulla got together an army. He got together the Roman army and invaded Rome. And that's never happened before. Right? Never has a, the Roman army attacked Rome. And everyone's like, what are you doing? And his excuse was, hey, listen, the guy in charge now, the consul in charge is breaking all the rules. So if he's breaking all the rules, all bets are off. I'm breaking the rules too. So Sulla took over. And then when he took over, he called on all the previous leaders to be executed. So all the people who followed Sulla were like, hold on, wait a second. We took over because this other guy was ruthless, and now you want us to execute everyone? So long story short, the people killed Sulla, and then Marius came back with his own army and essentially invaded Rome again and took over. That's the short of it. Power corrupts. Power corrupts, which is why our founding fathers tried to prevent one man from having absolute power. And and I worry that we are exchanging one person who has absolute power with another. Unless someone, unless a candidate for president has a deep conviction to turn the executive branch or or return the executive branch back to its prior, almost subordinate level, then the power will corrupt that person and it's only going to get worse. It's crazy. um, So we talked about humility earlier. We talked about strength is very important, but humility is the most important virtue, um, especially of a leader. And I, I made that argument last couple of days on my local show, too. And I get all these emails and, and they're, they're nice, right? People say, Slater, you know, you're a great guy. I love your show, but you're naive. You're naive. You're young. You're naive. You don't get it. You don't see it. And, and the argument goes something like, yeah, I understand humility is important, but not now. Things are too screwed up for humility. It's too, we're too desperate for humility. We don't need humility now. We need strength. We need power. And I, and I, I humbly uh, disagree with that. Frederick Douglass was a humble man. Abraham Lincoln was a humble man. George Washington was a humble man. Are you suggesting that what we're going through right now is is more desperate than Frederick Douglass, what he was going through when he was a slave, or Abraham Lincoln during a civil war, or George Washington during the Revolutionary War? Are we more desperate now than then? I don't I don't think so. But either way, it still proves that humility is of the utmost importance. The like the the more the more desperate it is, the more important humility is. Right, the tougher things get, the more desperate our country is, the more we need it. You know, you know the, the common phrase is honesty is the best policy. The tougher it is to be honest, the more important it is to be honest. <laughs> right? Virtues are virtues for a reason. They're the right thing to do all the time. What good is a virtue if it's only good until it's really hard to do it anymore? And then you just don't do it and then you ignore it and you throw it away. Like that's, well, <laughs> that's not a virtue anymore if that's how that works. I mean, the only analogy I can think of is if someone gave you a bulletproof vest and they said, oh, you should wear this bulletproof vest. It's great for walking around and it'll protect you. 
But when you go to the dangerous part of town and someone's about to shoot you, you got to take it off because it's not going to do you any good. Or what? Like, be like, well, hold on. I mean, the bulletproof vest is like it's for when I'm in a dangerous neighborhood or for when I'm about to get shot. That's the point of the bulletproof vest. Virtues are here for when times are tough, for when it seems like there's no way out, for when there's seemingly no hope. And we are coming out. We're in the midst of a soft tyranny. It's been building for decades. I don't want to have the next four years be my tyranny. Because then the growth of tyranny will continue. I want restoration. We need restoration. We got a pretty good shot at it coming up in like uh, two days. It's game time. Slater Radio on Twitter. Slater Radio. 1-888-900-3393. 1-888-900-3393. Mike Slater. Show the blaze. Radio Network. Spread the word. This is Mike Slater. Part of the next generation of talk radio. On the Blaze Radio Network. Mike Slater is on. Slater Crusaders, how are you? I don't know. We can talk more politics. Do you want to talk more politics? I don't really want to talk. Um, Let's talk about this instead. So I'll give you a quick update on um, our Make-A-Wish. Bryce. uh, So the real short of it is, Bryson, sophomore high school here in San Diego, he has brain cancer. He was diagnosed not long ago, six, seven, eight months ago, something like that. And his football team, his JV football team, decided all to shave his head, their heads. Um, and we got it on video. They, they, so what happened is Bryson got up enough energy to go to a football game. And they brought him out to the coin toss. And they all had their helmets on. Usually they don't yet. But they all had their helmets on. And then they went to the middle of the field to pray. It's Cathedral High. And they all took their helmets off to reveal their shaved heads. Like Bryson. I'll never forget one of the kids yells at Bryson. He goes, Bryson, now we're all the same. I love it. I love it, right? So we made a video of that experience. Put it on YouTube. Didn't get a ton of hits, but whatever. It was cool. And then they put it on People.com. People, People Magazine got a hold of it. And we're like, oh, neat. And now the reason I love that People Magazine got it is because, you know, it's People Magazine. Let me, here, let me. People.com here. Um. Okay, so here's the headline of People.com right now, right? Here's all the stories. Uh, Kanye West says he won't speak about, like, whatever. Laverne Cox and Sarah Rafferty, like, well, huh? Uh, I mean, it's, all, it's, just, it's just garbage. Kris Jenner opens up about her friendship with Nicole Brown Simpson. It's like, what, huh? So it was this just dumb, just trash. And then in the middle of it, high school football team shaves their head for 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 a teammate right it was, it was like this light shining light in the middle of um, this ridiculous people.com-ness so anyway long story short make a wish foundation found it they called us and they uh, said we want to make a wish uh, for bryson and bryson's wish was to be a part of restoring a 66 mustang now i real quick time out this has all come back to me a couple weeks ago and i'm mad at everyone for not hollering at me i said chevy mustang apparently a couple weeks ago 
what, I, I apologize. I, I, I don't even know what I was thinking. I'm sorry. Chevy Mustang. Someone wrote me a Twitter message that Slater, your man card has officially been revoked. Chevy Mustang. I'm like, I, I don't, I'm sorry. I don't, I don't know what, what, anyway, he wanted to, uh, uh, restore a, uh, oh darn. I'm trying to think of another brand other than Ford to make a joke. What's another brand uh, other than Chevy and Ford? Ah, Chrysler Mustang. Yes. A Chrysler Mustang is what we're trying. Um, the thing is make a wish foundation can't just give someone a car. So I called up a friend of the show and uh, he just like, like went with it. So long story short, they got 50 people lined up to work on this car. One, one part of the car or the other. So Bryson has two more rounds of chemo. He's finally doing better. They didn't think he was going to make it, Um, but he's finally doing better. And he came to the studio the other day, the other day with his dad and his mom and with Ed, who's doing all the rest, the restoring of the car with Bryson and, it was awesome. It was the first time Ed and Bryson met and Bryson told Ed, he's like, I want it to be, you know, metallic cobalt blue with a white racing stripe. And I want the hood to look like this and this and blah, 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 blah. It was so cool. So cool. So things are, are flying with Bryson's car. And here's the best part. I said, Bryson, listen, man, when you get all better and you got this, this awesome car and you drive it to school, you're going to be the man. Right, you're going to be the man. You know, one of the themes we talk about on the show is hope. This car is giving Bryson a little bit of hope. It's giving him a little bit of reason, a little bit of purpose to fight a little bit harder because he's got to wake up in the morning and he's got to pick out the color, right? He's got to pick out the wheels he wants. He's got to pick out this. He's got to help with this and that. So he's got a reason to fight. And he gets to be the man when he drives to school in a 66 Mustang, right? So I said, Bryson, you're just going to be the coolest guy in school. And Bryson says, yeah, that's cool. But what I really want to do, ready for this, brace yourself. What I really want to do is drive the car to Rady's Children's Hospital and drive cancer patients around and tell them that they can make it too. He said he wants on the back to have a a big bumper sticker for Make-A-Wish and for Rady's Children's Hospital so that people will ask him about it and he can tell his story and he can go and then take some of the kids who are going through chemo and drive them around in his Mustang and say, I was there, but now look, like, are you kidding me? So he, that's what he wants to do. He's an amazing man, a uh, young man. So then he uh, made friends with a girl at Ch- the Rady's children's hospital too. And he told her what he wanted to do with his make a wish. So her make a wish is she wants to raise a barn. She wants to build a barn for horses and when she gets better, she wants to give horseback rides to kids who are at Rady's Children's Hospital. Like, what is up with these kids? They're amazing. But she was inspired because of Bryson. Come on. Isn't that, isn't that awesome? Doesn't get better than that. This is why... It, I don't want to get off topic. But remember the GOP debate question was, like, what are you going to do about the climate of hate? And like... No, you know what you need to do? You need to stop focusing on the climate of hate. And you need to start focusing on all the good things that are going on every single day in our world, in your town. Open your eyes. Better yet, get a part of it. Make some good things happen. Person complaining about the climate of hate. Give me a break. Go volunteer at your local Ronald McDonald house. At your, at a, I'm, sure, I'm sure there's a Ronald McDonald house near you. Go make some food in the morning. For the families who are staying at the Ronald McDonald House at the hospital. And go look at all the good in the world. Look at it. 
Look at these amazing parents and these amazing inspirational kids who are going through an incredibly difficult time in your life and make some breakfast for them. It'll change your life. Do that instead of complaining about the climate of hate. Anyway. After we talked to the Bryson, I uh, was reminded of, of something I haven't checked back into in a long time. Uh, it's called the uh, Harvard Study of Adult Development. So they've been doing it for 75 years. So 75 years ago, they gathered 724 men. They were sophomores at Harvard at the time. Yep. 75 years ago. And every year, for 75 years, they send a questionnaire to these men. And they ask about their work and their home life and their health. And they draw blood and they scan their brains and they talk to their spouses and their children and their friends. Uh, every year they do a questionnaire. Every other year they visit them in person. And they record these men talking to their wives. And, and they've been doing it every year for 75 years. And not only did they take this group of Harvard students, but then they also took a group of people from uh, Boston's slums. So they wanted the privileged and they also wanted people who were living in tenements in the time. They, they, they didn't have running water when they first started this study 75 years ago. So these people who they, they took, the 724 people, they became bricklayers and doctors and factory workers. And one of them became the president of the United States. JFK was one of these 724 men who at the time went to Harvard. So there's tens of thousands of pages of information about these men's lives. And the ultimate thing they've learned is about happiness. Longest study of its kind. They've tried things like this other times, but people drop out. The funding dries up. It just peters out. I mean, something going on for 75 years is pretty impressive. It's currently on its fourth director. So, what have they learned about human happiness? It comes down to one thing, and one thing only. It's not about work. It's not about fame. It's not about wealth. And they would ask these people as they were, you know, in their 20s and their 30s and their 40s, and they would ask, what do you think will make you happy? And they all said, money. I want to be wealthy. Or they all said, or some of them said, I want to be famous. I think fame will make me happy. Or I want to be successful in my job. I want, I want to be praised at my work. Okay, that's what these men said when they were in their 20s, 30s, and 40s. But now that, you know, then they got in their 60s and their 70s and their 80s and today, some of them are still around today. None of them are happy for those reasons or unhappy because they don't have those things. It's all about good relationships. And the researchers have come to the conclusion that loneliness kills People who are more connected to family and friends and community are happier and they live longer, healthier lives. Loneliness is toxic. It's toxic. It's a toxin. Your health declines sooner. Your brain functions decline. Now, it's not the number of friends you have. It's the quality of them. So don't go counting your Facebook friends. That's not what it's about. And if they take the, the happiest and healthiest men in their 80s, and go back to their 50s and they look at the same people in the 50s, it's not their cholesterol levels that determine their health at 80, right? If you look at someone's cholesterol when they're 50 and you can predict their uh, health when they're 80, no correlation. 
It's not their cholesterol level that can predict it. It's how satisfied they are with their relationships. Now, I, th- I think we get this. And we understand this. But no one listening now is happy about it. Isn't that weird? I wasn't when I heard this. It was weird. I was, I was reading about the study and, and I was excited about, oh, I'm, I'm going to find out what the secret to happiness is. And then I found out. And I was like, oh, well. Anyway, never mind. What, what, what else? Like, I moved on. I was like, ah, oh, it's disappointing. I was disappointed. I was disappointed that the secret, like, here it is. Here is the secret. And then someone gave it to me after 75 years of wisdom, well, lifetimes of wisdom, but 75 years on this study. Here it is, Mike. And I said, oh, really? That? <sighs> Whatever. Why? It's the weirdest thing. We are always looking for shortcuts. Something about our culture today. I, I don't know. It may be because of capitalism. I think that may be it, like the success of capitalism, because everything we do has been made easier. Everything's improved from, you know, it's easier to you know, drink clean water and it's easier to cook food and it's easier to drive to work and get to work. I mean, in the past, you used a you know, horse and buggy and now a car, right? And pretty soon self-driving cars, right? Everything becomes easier and like sort of a shortcut. We live in a life hack culture. We life hack everything. We find shortcuts for everything. Texting is a shortcut to talking. Have you ever needed to talk to someone and you're like, oh, I could call them, but I don't want to. I'll just text. How about like a thousand times a day, right? So like, why did you, I'll never forget my dad. He never texted. I was like, why not? He's like, well, I just called them. Yeah, but texting is so much easier. What, why? Why is it easier? Well, you don't have to talk to them. He's like, yeah, but I, I want to talk. To them. Texting is a shortcut. Email is a shortcut to sending a letter. Right? Everything we do is shortcuts. We always look for shortcuts. But here's the deal with relationships. There's no shortcuts. And that's why it's frustrating. At least to me. Everything that they know about the key to having a successful and healthy life. We get it. We 100% get it. No surprises. No one's shocked. But we're a little bit disappointed. Because I wish that the, the key to happiness was... I don't know, something simple, like a pill you could take or something, <laughs> or something you eat or something you could do for two minutes a day, but it's not, it's people. <laughs> was it Seinfeld? Was there a Seinfeld episode when they said, people are the worst. People are messy. People are hard. Relationships are difficult. They're complicated. And it's lifelong and it never ends. And there are no shortcuts. And that's why I don't like this study. Because I'm holding out hope for a shortcut. Or you can just, Slater, stop looking for a shortcut. Take the narrow road. The one that leads to true happiness. And health. 1-888-900-3393. 1-888-900-3393. Mike Slater Show, the Blaze Radio Network. Spread the word. You're listening to Mike Slater on the Blaze Radio Network.
This is Mike Slater. You may have seen this on the plays the other day. I just want to play a minute or so of Dave Ramsey here. Hit it. One of the things I hate about the political cycle when it comes up a presidential New Year is you have people on all the news channels. You have people on the left and on the right. You have Republicans and you have Democrats telling you how they're going to fix your life. And the reason I hate that is, A, it's a lie. It's not true. B, it makes you think that you can sit around and wait on one of those morons to fix your life. There's nobody on the news channel that's going to fix your life. There's no government program that's going to fix your life. There's no Republican that if he gets elected is going to become Jesus. And there's no Democrat that if they get elected is going to be the, uh, the, the Jesus of your life and give you everything you ever wanted. It's an absolute lie. And it's been going on since man invented politics, I guess. But you know what? I don't care. I don't care where it came from. What I care is what it's doing to this nation and what it's doing to some of you out there that are watching. You are not a victim. You're not a victim of big corporations. You're not a victim of Wall Street. You're not a victim of capitalism. You're not a victim of wealth inequality. You're not a victim of racism. You're not a victim. Now, are all of those things real? And do they sometimes oppress you and me? You bet. We can actually stop it there because we're running out of time. Uh, He goes on to say, you are the hero of this story. You are not the victim. William Howard Taft, he said, the world is not going to be saved by legislation. He says, actually, if we went two years without people saying being enacted, we'd be a lot better off. He wrote that in 1916. Still true today. Spread the word. You're listening to Mike Slater. Part of the next generation of talk radio. On the Blaze Radio Network.